0: Well, good morning. good morning. How y'all doing? Good wow, such responsiveness. This is nice. This is good. Um, I'm excited because uh, I get to deliver a Christmas message to you this morning, uh, which is always wonderful for me. I'm Chris. For those of you that don't know, I'm one of the pastors here, and um, we're going to be in Luke chapter two today. Luke chapter two, very familiar passage. We'll be looking at the the angelic proclamation of Jesus' birth and uh, the shepherd's response to it. So Luke chapter 2, if you could open up there. While you're turning there, I just want to share a little bit with you. You know, I really, I love Christmas for a lot of different reasons, but one of the reasons that I love Christmas recently is because of the advent of memes. You know, the uh, picture, I should have I been able to put these up there, but you'll, you'll get the gist of it without the picture, but uh, memes have been kind of a joy to my life ever since they started but uh but the Christmas ones this year I'm I'm just going to share my two favorites with you so um one is it's the three wise men uh and it said uh it's they say we brought gold and frankincense for you Jesus but wait there's myrrh (laughs) it's pretty funny and it's got it's got the uh the picture of, I think, like the guy that does like ShamWow or some or, or something, you know, on there. All right. Uh, and then the other one, this is just a church sign uh, that I saw floating around social media, and I just laughed hysterically. But it says, Mary, exhausted, having just gotten Jesus to sleep, is approached by a young man who thinks to himself, what this girl needs is a drum solo. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's good. That's good. All right, Luke chapter 2. Let's go ahead and pray before we dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that is your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that he took on flesh and that being fully God and fully man became the sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that it is through him that we are able to have relationship with you, that we are able to enter into heaven and be with you for eternity. Father, as we read your word, will you help us to understand it more clearly? Will you keep it afresh in our mind? Father, we thank you. Bring us the wonder that is the birth of your son, Jesus Christ, this morning. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Well, Christmas time. Christmas is in the air. How many people are staying in town for Christmas? Oh, that's a fair amount of people, okay. How many are going out of town for Christmas? Okay. I noticed some of you did not raise your hands, so you're confused. (laughs) I hope that this week you'll figure out whether you're going to be here or not for Christmas. Um, But Luke chapter 2, it's a familiar passage Uh, around Christmas time. It's a familiar story. In fact, if if you didn't grow up in the church, you're probably still familiar with this story. And that familiarity can bring us a lot of... uh, A lot of comfort uh, during Christmas season. Uh, It can give us traditions that are developed. Um, Maybe uh, some of you were in a play as a kid about this story or have kids that are in a play or maybe like me have a kid that danced in a play about this story. That familiarity is nice during this time of year. It gives us something to hold on to and uh, brings us back in our minds to, to times with friends and family, it brings us back in our minds to uh, times when our salvation was rich and joyful as we remember Christ. Sometimes, though, that familiarity can uh, create a sense of indifference about it. It can begin to feel common. Yes, it's Christmas time. We're going to celebrate Jesus' birth. You can almost kind of take it for granted. And uh, the incarnation of Christ is just, it's so wonderful. It's so beautiful. And there's so much wonder about it that we miss some of it sometimes. And I hope that as we read this passage today, we can, we can see that with, uh, with new eyes. And we can... Uh, Glory in the wonder that is the incarnation of Christ. This Christmas season, that that tradition helps us a lot because a lot of times Christmas is hard for people. Uh, There's a lot of pain. Oftentimes, you know, it's at the end of the year, so we reflect upon what happened that year, and sometimes it's a hard year. Sometimes we remember the people that we can no longer celebrate Christmas with because they've passed away. Or maybe there were relationships that are broken and, and those people aren't there to celebrate with us. Sometimes it's just the hustle and bustle of the Christmas season of, uh, of going from here and there and then we got to travel over here and we got to make sure uh, everything's okay with this family member over here and all of that can, can breed an anxiousness within us uh, that, that s- takes us away of the beauty of this season. I was reading this week, there's a new ach- anxiousness that's just popped up uh, in the online era ever since online shopping started. Uh, not making this up, there's a, there's a clinical term for a new type of anxiousness. It's called pre-parcel anxiety, <laughs> I'm serious, this exists, back in, back in the day. As as my son Caleb reminds me, back in like the 1900s when I lived, uh, you would go to a store, you would purchase something, a product, and it would be yours right away. You could use it as you will, it would bring you uh, happiness as you use it, and things were good, you know, that was life. Now, there's this pre-parcel anxiety where it's like you purchase it, you own something but you don't get to play with it yet. You don't get to use it, right? And um, there's this other term that's been developed since online shopping called endowment syndrome. Mm -hmm. This is a real thing. And these things work together and create this cycle of anxiety within people. Endowment syndrome is where you have ownership of this thing, and so your mind starts to think about all the ways that it can bring you happiness and the ways that you're going to use it, right? Like um, if you're a parent, maybe you're like, oh, I'm going to get those noise-canceling headphones so I don't have to listen to my kids. Yeah. Maybe you think that, I don't know. But, but you start to think about the useful things of, of these products, but you don't, uh, you don't have it yet. So then you go through this cycle of like anxiety, And you get that pre-parcel anxiety, and you start clicking on that tracking number over and over and over again. You're like, when is it going to get here, right? Uh, And then your mind will again start to think about the good things about having this new thing. And so it goes good and bad and good and bad, and just creates this cycle of anxiety in people, new anxiety. It's interesting. Um, And we're going to look at, in today's passage, one of the things that will, will help us avoid some of that when we're focused on, on something that we think will bring us happiness and, and we're waiting for it and we're waiting for it. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter 2, beginning in uh, verse 8. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born to you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. We're going to focus on two primary things as we make our way through this passage. We're going to focus on the angel's proclamation, on the good news that the angel brings, and the joy that ensues, and then we're also going to look at uh, more in depth the shepherd's response. So as we look at it, verse 8, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flocks by night. This this word for staying out in the fields is is used elsewhere, in like living outdoors. They were living in these fields, and I uh, I think about like living amongst sheep. Shepherds were considered uh, lowly people uh, in uh, Israelite culture and Jewish culture because they would they would live in the fields and. When you live in a field, it's not like you get a hot shower a lot, you know? You don't, you don't get a sink to clean your hands and things like that. You're, you're living in the fields. You're living amongst farm animals. And a field filled with sheep, I imagine, is also filled with other things. <laughs> if you catch what I'm saying from sheep. The shepherds, they probably stunk. They were living in the fields, they... We're living in a mess. Just imagine, if you will, uh, these shepherds arriving at Mary, having just given birth to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you guys, but uh, my wife, when she's pregnant, her sense of smell goes through the roof. I mean, she she can smell. I went I went on a cross country uh, one time. Friday night, I love garlic and onion by the way. She does too, just not when she's pregnant. So I went cross-country on a Friday night, I had a sandwich that had some garlic and onion in it. And I wasn't gonna see her for days. And I thought that was fine. And then Sunday when I got home, two days later, I went to go give her a hug and she's like, Did Did you just eat something with garlic and onion? It's like, oh. like two days ago. I mean, I brushed my teeth, you know, showered. Her sense of smell is through the roof. Imagine what Mary must be going through when those shepherds show up smelling like the field and the sheep and all the muck that they live in. But isn't it amazing that even amongst their mess, God enters into it. Jesus is born even in the midst of the mess. We could do a whole sermon series just on that alone uh, because it's amazing, um, but we're going to continue. We're going to put a pin in that. They were watching their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Terribly frightened. This, uh, the, this word, terribly frightened, comes, uh, the Greek is actually uh, megon phobon, mega fear it's a it's a Greek idiom that would mean like they feared a great fear mega fear the King James translated as uh, sore afraid they were sore afraid they were so afraid that it hurt it's probably the reaction that most of us would have if we saw an angelic being appear I know I would be afraid for sure which is why the angel typically responds this way, right? Do not be afraid, or fear not, right? Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. This word for good news is where we get our word uh, for gospel from. It's It's the same word. I bring you good news. In the Greek, it's based off the word euangelion, in the modern Greek, that, that U is changed to a V sound. We get evangelion. It's to evangelize. This angel is evangelizing to them by sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? Gospel proclamation to the shepherds about the birth of Jesus Christ. We'll bring you good news. And it will bring great joy. Again, here, it's mega joy. You may have mega fear. I'm about to tell you something that will bring you mega joy. That's what Luke is doing here with this writing. And I absolutely love this. Good news. That will bring mega joy. And we're going to dip into this a little bit deeper here. Uh, We're going to do a little bit of etymology. Yes, I use that word. Before I went to seminary, I didn't really care much about words and language. I really didn't. Uh, In seminary, I developed this love of understanding language because I started to learn about how words are created and the meaning behind these words and how it all kind of fits together to create ideas. And and it became beautiful, particularly when you're reading the Word of God. And uh, I have to tell you, as I was reading the Greek and and getting into this passage, I was just like, how have I never seen this before? It was amazing. Um, So you guys can make fun of me later for getting into etymology, but that's okay. It's important, so we're going to go ahead and get into it. Okay, so the word joy here comes from the Greek word kara. Kara just means joy. But what's interesting is very closely related to this word is the word charis, which we translate as grace. Joy is super closely related to grace. And if we take that word charis and we just add a little suffix to it, charisma, it's where we get the word gift. Joy, grace, and gift, all closely related. And if we take that word charis, and we just put a little prefix on it, eucharis, it's the word for thanksgiving in Greek. It's also where we get our word eucharist from, and the Eucharist being the bread and the cup when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. This word group is so tightly related that it's amazing. Joy, grace, gift, thanksgiving. In the first century mind, those things would have been super related, but we lose a little bit of that today. It's amazing. You have mega fear. I came to bring you mega joy. And it says uh, that this great joy will be for all the people. We know today that all the people, what's being referred to here is Gentiles and Jews, right? Everyone, literally all the people. But most likely what the shepherds thought when the angel said this, all the people, they probably thought in terms of the Israelite people. Why would they think that way? Well, it's because they had tracking numbers. They had tracking numbers for when this uh, delivery that was going to deliver them might happen and how it was all going to fit together. What are some of those tracking numbers? We're going to go back to the Old Testament a little bit. First, Genesis 3. Genesis 3, verse 15. It's probably like the first or second page of your Bible if you want to flip there. Genesis 3, verse 15. And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. This is God talking to the serpent in the Garden of Eden. The fall had just happened, right? And and many people point to this as being what's called the proto-euangelion, the first gospel proclamation the very first gospel proclamation right here is actually delivered to the serpent who deceived adam and eve and it's a proclamation that one day one will come and although you may bruise him on the heel he is going to crush your head and put an end to all this pain that you've caused first gospel proclamation. What else? By the way, there's a lot of tracking numbers in the Old Testament about Jesus. We're only going to reference a few of them. If you go to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's the Hebrew word that means God with us. There will be a virgin that will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. That's what Jesus was. That's what Jesus is. Even in the mess of life, he's God with us. That's a whole nother sermon series. Go maybe one more page to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. The throne of David. It's a tracking number for the Israelite people to keep track of the day that they will be delivered. That they will be delivered. One more. Micah 5, and we'll just read verse 2. Micah 5, verse 2. But as for you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, the shepherds likely would have heard this gospel proclamation and thought in these terms. And the angel says, "For behold, to you is born a savior in the city of David." In the city of David, where was or where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Why is the angel saying the city of David? It's a common phrase for the city of Bethlehem, because David was born in Bethlehem. And the angel says the city of David here, I think, to make very clear who he's talking about, because the people were awaiting the Messiah who would be in the line of David. Why is David important? Well, we have to think about what the Israelites have gone through before this. See, uh, just over a thousand years before Jesus' birth was the reign of David. And he ushered in an era of, of peace and abundance for the Israelites. He's, he's kind of that, uh, that example king of, of goodness. So the people were waiting, one that would come in the line of David. But here's the interesting thing. 400 years before the birth of Jesus? That's when the Old Testament ends. We have what's called the intertestamental period between these two, where there was silence. The Israelite people have been clicking on this tracking number, trying to find out when they were going to be delivered. And they've been waiting and waiting because after David's reign, the, the, the wheels kind of went off the cart. The kingdoms were split. The people were taken captive and they lived under the boot of several tyrants. A thousand years. And the prophets had stopped speaking. I'm sure these shepherds felt alone in that field but god sent an angel to tell them that they weren't alone for their savior had been born in bethlehem it's amazing now i have to tell you as i as i prepare a sermon there are several phases uh, that any preacher will go through. Um, one of them is where you're just, you're working in the text, right? You're, you're reading it, you, you uh, probably read the, the Greek or the Hebrew, and you're trying to understand what, uh, what Luke is doing with this message, and, and um, you're just kind of working in the text. And I really enjoy that part. I really enjoy that part a lot. Uh, it's the most labor-intensive, but I enjoy it. There's another part where the preacher reflects upon the text in their own lives. And that is often a part that I do not enjoy. Usually because it, uh, it, it shows ways that... Um, well, that I'm running away from God in my own life. As I was working on this text over the last uh, couple of weeks, I began to think, where's your joy, Chris? How are you doing with joy this Christmas season? And I got to tell you, I was not doing well. I was so focused on on work, on stressors of life, the monotony of just day-to-day life, I was not very joyful. Uh, Oftentimes during the Christmas season, I'll read an Advent devotional. I wasn't doing that this year. Um, I wasn't in the word nearly as much as I normally would be. I wasn't praying. I wasn't doing good with joy. But as I started looking in this text and working in it, I started to experience that joy. Again. And we have to ask ourselves what is joy? What is joy? Well, as we just talked about, this biblical concept of joy is so closely related to, to grace and gift. Joy is the experience of the grace of God, of the gift of Christ in our lives. It is an abiding experience. Happiness may be fleeting when your package shows up and you get to use it for a little bit and it's fun, but it doesn't last. Joy is meant to last. So I began to ask the question of myself, uh, where is my joy? Why isn't it lasting? What's going on? What steals joy? And... Um, I thought of three primary things that I think are true in my life, I think are true in everyone's lives. Things that steal your joy. Um, First, sin. Sin steals your joy. And I thought of uh, Psalm 51. David wrote Psalm 51, and he wrote it after uh, he was confronted by Nathan for the sin that he had committed with Bathsheba. Psalm 51 is a very famous psalm. Lots of songs written on it. Do you remember what it says there? It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. David had lost his joy. And he's asking for God to restore it. We also know that joy is a, a fruit of the Spirit, Right? Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, so when we are saved, when we experience salvation, there is a very real joy that comes upon us because it is a gift of the Spirit, but it is meant to be cultivated. It is something that is meant to be cultivated because we see that sin can seal it. We also see that a a broken relationship with God can steal your joy. Being far from God can steal your joy. Psalm 16, uh, David wrote, uh, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy. This, This word fullness has the idea of like, having so much to eat that you're so full and there's still like a ton left over. Fullness of joy. Can you imagine that? So much joy that you can't even take it all in. There's just extras to go around for everyone. That's the idea of being in God's presence, is that joy. And that's kind of what was going on with me a little bit. I wasn't in the Word. I wasn't praying. I wasn't really thinking about the presence of God. And what else should you be thinking about during Christmas? But the presence of God. That's, that's literally what Christmas is about, is Jesus being born into our world, taking on flesh, being present with us. And I wasn't thinking about that. But there's a third thing that I think uh, that also steals our joy, and it's when our focus... Is off it's when our focus is off when we're not keeping our focus on Christ and and we lower our sights and we begin to focus on the things in our lives the uh, the situations that we're in the packages that we're waiting on that we think will give us joy the family members that um, are coming to town and maybe we're not super excited they're coming to town or, or, or maybe uh, family members that we are super excited to come to town. Even good things can take our focus off of Christ. And sometimes we can think that the happiness that those things give us is joy, but it's often not. As I, um, as I was thinking to myself more like, how do? Why am I feeling this way? Why do I just feel like this with Christmas? I just feel not joyful. I, I don't not in the Christmas spirit. I don't like that phrase really. But like I, I just wasn't you know. Um, I was uh, I was led. I was reminded of the book of Philippians. So this week I was reading a lot in the book of Philippians. And for those of you that don't know, the book of Philippians is often called like the book of joy. Um, Paul wrote the book of Philippians and he, uh, he uses that word joy a lot. It talks a lot about joy and rejoicing and all this. But do you guys remember where he was when he wrote it? Yeah, prison. He was in prison. And in the book of Philippians, he even uh, makes mention of the fact that, um, that he may die. And amongst all, that, amongst all that mess that he was dealing with, he encouraged others to have joy because of his joy. And, uh, and it really helped me a lot. And I got to Philippians chapter 4. Many of you know it, but uh, chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 4, says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And that, that word for rejoice, it's just the verbal form of joy, to have joy, to be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord always. So here we see that joy is also a command. Are we living that command out? Are we living out the command of being joyful? And I, I just want to take a moment and say, this joy, I don't, it's, not a, it's not a fake thing. It's not fake. It's not like, oh, I'm going to be joyful, I'm a Christian, everything's great. That's, that's not what it is, because that's fake. And if there's one thing that God isn't, it's fake. This is very real, abiding, passionate, deep joy. I'm sure Paul wasn't like just faking it because he was in prison. No, he was really joyful. I'm sure he had hardships. But he was joyful because his focus was on Christ. And verses 5 through 7 of chapter 4 helped me get through this time, and it made me think about the things that were, that I was putting my focus on. It says, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. It's a reminder, the Lord is near. He's in prison, but the Lord is near. The presence of God, where fullness of joy is, God is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your, resp- let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we're feeling anxious, when we're clicking on that tracking number because we're worried about the package, we can cast our anxieties upon Christ by praying, by being thankful. So that's what I started to do, and it helped. Joy in our salvation. Joe, I think that clock is uh, wrong. It's running way too fast. Okay, uh, we're going to get... It's broken, just keep going. Okay, All right. <laughs> Uh, We're going to get into this a little bit more. So uh, the heavenly host shows up praising God and says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. Peace. And that's so much more than just like the cessation of hostility or like feeling good or not anxious. Uh, The biblical idea of peace is built on the Hebrew uh, idea of peace, which is the word shalom. Shalom. And it's like, it's wholeness, fullness, uh, the, the entire summation of all of God's blessings being bestowed. That's the idea of peace. That's the idea of peace that would be in these shepherds' minds as they heard this proclamation. Oh, what joy to have that peace. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. They came in a hurry. They hurried. Some translations will say like they ran. And this was the moment where it really started to hit me with another question. Because I began to ask myself, are you running to Jesus this Christmas season, Chris? Are you running to Jesus or are you running away from him? Are you running to Jesus or are you uh, just thinking about all of the things of your life that's going on? Are, Are you thinking about the mess that you're in with work? Are you thinking about the sheep that you work with? Or are you running to Jesus? And I'm going to ask you that question. As we go to Christmas this week, think about that. Are you running to Jesus? Are your hearts filled with joy because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you? Or are you indifferent? Is it no longer a big deal to you that God himself took on flesh for you, for me? Are you running to Jesus? I think that's a really important question that we ask ourselves this week. We are coming to a close, so I'm just gonna. Uh, I have to share this story, and I just thought of it last night because uh, it just happened. Um, I. My daughter was in a dance recital. You know, I I mentioned that earlier uh, about the story of Christmas and the birth of Christ, and uh, she, uh, at one moment, she danced as like a reindeer, and then uh, that was. Uh, one night, and then yesterday, she was the costume of a sheep, right? She thinks it was a cow, but that's cool. It doesn't really matter, uh, but she danced, right? And it was Jesus's birth that she was dancing at, and um, I have to tell you, like, I, I experienced this entire sermon in, in that moment at this dance recital, and let me explain. I show up. I'm excited. I get to see my daughter dance, right? And I sit down in in where I think is going to make sense to see her well, and um, and it becomes very apparent as as it fills up and the and the and everything gets started that I am sitting in a location that because of the way people were positioned and you know uh, uh, angles on the stage and things like that like I I, I'm not going to see, I can't see, I can't see like a good fifty to sixty percent of the stage, like it's not visible. And I'm focusing on that rather than the show. The story of Jesus' birth, I'm focusing on the fact that I can't see. And so what happens is I start to become very frustrated. I'm I'm not experiencing joy. My joy has been robbed in this moment, right? And I did what maybe some of you do, but I, I wanted everyone to know that I was frustrated, so I've got my son, Aaron, on my lap, right? And I'm holding him on my lap. And I start doing this. I'm like, oh. <clears throat> I'm moving around. I'm, I'm making it all obvious because I want everyone to know that my joy is gone and I can't see the story of Jesus' birth. <laughs> you see the irony here? And... Um, what a terrible thing for a pastor to do. (laughs) But uh, that's that's what was happening, right? I'm making it obvious for everybody that I was frustrated. I probably was frustrating the people behind me and probably stealing their joy. So I will repent later for that and I will move on. But the most amazing thing happened for the 30 seconds that my daughter was on stage. She came out and she stood in a place that I could see. It was as if, like, the people had parted, and I I got a clear view of her. And I just stared in awe, and I sat up straight, and I was smiling, and I was so filled with joy in that moment. Because my focus had completely changed about what I couldn't see to what I could see. I was no longer thinking about all the distractions or all the the bad things going on in that circumstance, but I was focusing on my daughter. And later after the show is when I felt like the Lord was just asking me, why don't you focus on me like that? Why don't you focus on me like that? You're at, a, you're at a show celebrating my birth. And you're all frustrated with the people around you. Have some joy. This season, there's a lot that can go wrong in our lives. Maybe we think about what happened this year. Maybe, maybe you just got told that, uh, you know, that the, the mask policy changed at your work again or uh, there's, uh, there, there's more political issues going on or, or, you know, Aunt Marge made fruitcake again. I don't know. It doesn't matter because you can have joy in the midst of that. You can have joy. I can have joy when we focus on Christ and what he's done for us. And I hope that that joy wells up within us and we tell people, we tell people about Christ. Oh, what joy to be able to focus on Christ. Father... uh, Father, we need reminders. We need help. Even when we are at our best during the Christmas season, we can still try to replace you with shiny things. We can replace you with time with family. We can replace you with the the delivery that we're expecting that we think will bring us happiness. Father, will will you help us to focus on the delivery of your Son, Jesus Christ, that delivers us from our sins? Will you help us to remember that abiding joy that comes from reflecting upon the birth of your Son? Jesus Christ, this season. Oh God, will you do that for us? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.